ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with New Radio Media, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. Um, if you want to try, first segment, last segment, we have a few minutes. 844-999-9249-844-999-9249. Or you can email the show at letstalktorah at gmail.com. I would save it for the end, but uh, some technical stuff being worked on the beginning of the show. Greatest team ever. Shout out to all the guys working here. And we get the thumbs up and the fingers. Excellent. Very good. Um, later in the show, we will have our next international guest. I told you the next couple weeks, we're going international. We'll be Skyping again today. That'll be fun. We'll be talking to Ellie and Dina uh, Kaminsky from Israel. And next week again, we'll do Israel. So England was last week. We are moving even further. But nowadays with technology, it almost doesn't matter. We got lots to talk about today. We got to talk about olive oil. We got to talk about... Uh, the garments that the priests would wear, um, maybe even some stuff about incense. But, you know, uh, that's the time of year, as they say, love is in the air. So after seeing some videos this morning, I decided, um, important enough to make my first comment of the translation of love. So, and I wrote it on my LinkedIn in a few places. So the Hebrew word for love is a very interesting word, begins with the first letter of the alphabet. The word is ahav, alef hey vav, vez, I'm sorry, alef hey vez. Ahav means to love. Interesting enough, the second two letters of the word of have in Aramaic means to give. All right, so I'm getting too off tangent, but Hebrew and Aramaic are almost like sister languages. You know, many, many similarities in, in the words and how the words are composed and built. So have, giving, is part of the word love. So therefore, the rabbis explain, love is not what I take from you. Being a taker, you don't love. The only way to love is to give, and to give unconditionally. Probably the best example is what parents do for children. Right? They're forever giving. The child is born and feeding and cleaning and laundry. I think of the mothers more than the fathers because the list that the mother gives is usually longer. The father pays for it, um, and nowadays the mother does too. But all that giving is parents giving to children, and the most hurtful thing that children can say to parents is, oh, you don't love me, because they try to push the buttons. They're very good at that, children. Students, I know, I deal with them all day long. But that's irrelevant. And as the child doesn't understand what love means. Love does not mean you get everything you want. My daughter always jokes um, for her 16th birthday. Okay, she's almost 18. Um, I was supposed to get her a car. That's fine. Good joke. I, I offered her a Matchbox car. That didn't go over well. And uh, when I had like three extra days on my lease, I gave her the three days. So I do claim 
to have given her a car. But, but many people, certainly children, but adults also as well, um, they think if they're not getting stuff, the person doesn't love them. And that's really backwards. When I give you, and I do it unconditionally, and even if I start out, by the way, with a condition, as I give, I create a connection that I love you. If you would like to reciprocate and you would like to love me back, you are going to have to love me. The reason I thought about it, I was watching on my LinkedIn this morning uh, some person, very cute video, where she, um, she gets a basket of roses and she walks around giving couples the roses. And that's her, you know, um, whatever she said when she gave each rose. And she says, you know, I really wish I knew what it meant to receive because I'm always the giver. And it sounds very good, but really, really, it's a misplaced idea of what love is. She is creating love by giving, even, by the way, if she never would see that person again. I know the video was all staged, uh, or at least she had planned it. I don't know if the people in the video knew they were being videoed. No idea. But in any case, she was showing love. Somebody giving her right, does not mean that she now loves that person. You want to love a person, you have to give. The same idea with spouses. You want to love, you have to give. If all you do is take, not a good idea in marriage, even friends, right? In high school, college, as adults, we grow up, we have friends. You want a friend? The friend is the guy who gives to you, not the guy who is forever taking. That's the, the uh, I guess, tried and tested concept, meaning behind love. So you wanted to buy flowers, you wanted to buy jewelry, it's a great advertising day for, uh, for all these different companies. Just know the person giving is creating his side of the bond of love. The person receiving is doing nothing. You want to create on both sides, you both have to give. And by the way, with kids, with friends, time is certainly something quite valuable. If you have the ability to give time, you've given everything. I mean, I think myself. My daughter's not getting the car. Trust me on that one. Not for me. But she needs help. School, reports. We were joking in the house the other day. Uh, my kid does a lot of extra studying, and he, he studies with me, and he puts in effort, and... You know, like all kids, okay, how much will you pay me if I do this? Okay, fine. So my, so my daughter also threw in, how much will you pay me? So I said, tell you what, um, um, I will pay you if I don't have to do your next report. And that didn't go over well. She did not accept. She did not accept. She said, no, you can keep your money. You're going to help me with my report. I said, fine. But again, so for my children... Um, the most I can give them, of course I feed them and clothe them, and there's a roof over their head. Forget about, about all that. For my children, I give. They need time. I give them time. My son says to me today, we have to study for a test, similar to the story a couple weeks ago. So I told him, I said, uh, I said, my dear son, I'm available for sure from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock because then I have to study with a different child. I said, but I can't run after you. If you want the time, the time is yours. You have it. I will gladly give it to you. We'll do whatever you need. So now I'm giving. He's not going to love me back by taking the time. 
but I'm, he's going to learn that I love him, and maybe he won't learn. But I know, and I'm creating the bond of love because I'm giving to him. So uh, just a good message when we think about love, and everyone says love today and love, love, all very beautiful, but really important to know what love is. Okay, that was, I guess, side topic, but I think a very good one. So the beginning of the Torah portion talks about olive oil. Last week's Torah portion was the building, or at least the, the, uh, the engineering um, diagrams for all the things that would be necessary for the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant and the table for the showbread and the menorah and uh, the outside altar and the, the actual building and the curtains and the courtyard. That was last week. This week, the Torah portion is uh, now we become tailors. Now we're going to create beautiful clothing for the priests to use when they work. Many people, not here, not yet, but in many offices, there's a dress code. You go into a supermarket or, or a Best Buy or a Kroger's. Or, so almost everybody working there has a certain shirt, jacket that's expected. There's a dress code. So in the, in the temple, there was also a dress code for the priests, very specific, certain shirts and linen, and, and the high priest would have his special beautiful aprons and, and other types of robes and very regal. We'll talk about it. But the first thing the Torah portion talks about is olive oil. We need olive oil, first of all, to light the menorah, the candelabra, that seven-branch, even though it's in a straight line, that seven-branch candelabra called the menorah. It's hard to imagine people never heard of a menorah. Um, that's one need for the oil. And a, and a second need is for certain anointing. They needed an oil. And there were certain sacrifices. A f- many flower sacrifices came with oil. So now let's think about this for a second. You're at home. Um, you don't have regular electricity, so it's a couple hundred years ago, and you're in the kitchen, and your mother is making a fantastic chocolate cake. So she says to you, there's two jars of oil, one with all the sediment, not so clean, and one crystal clear, the beautiful oil. So your mother says, I need two things. I need a cup of oil for the chocolate cake, and I need you to go around and fill up the lamps so we have light in this house before it gets dark. So think about it for a second. You may know the answer. If not, it's good to hear. Um, Which oil, you know, whenever you say a question, the answer is so obvious, you know it's the opposite. But okay, fine. So which oil are you going to use in that wonderful chocolate cake? The beautiful pure oil or the oil that's all cloudy and full of sediments? And again, which oil are you going to use because you only have, you can't use both. You can't use only the clean or only the, 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 the cloudy one. For both, there's not enough. That's the story, and that's my story, and I'm sticking by it. So the Torah tells us, because I'm assuming you all know in your mind that I know that the clean oil is going to my chocolate cake because I want only the best in that delicious chocolate cake. And the lamp, who cares if there's sediments? But interesting enough, the Torah says in the tabernacle, in the temple, it was just the opposite. In the lamps, in the menorah, you used a pure, clean olive oil. And in the food, the sacrifices, the flower sacrifices, that was the the oil with the sediments. So 
the simple answer of why the beautiful oil, and we're going to talk about the different levels of oil, why that beautiful oil was in the menorah is because the light of the menorah uh, symbolizes, represents the purity of Torah. And if you want your Torah to be pure, you want that symbol, you got to use the most pure oil. People are very careful with children when they start them out in their journey to study Torah. They want things to be pure. They want our children are pure. We we teach children in my house um, the first words after mommy and daddy. Uh, but the first words we try to train a child is like "Hero Israel, Shema Yisrael." We want them to say pure words. That's what we want. You know, think about speaking pure words. Just reminded me. And again, a shout out to all my wonderful uh, um, teammates over here that uh, even when they get frustrated, um, the language is just the way I like it. Nice and clean. Everybody knows, even without me asking, which tells you something. Um, Right? We speak pure. When we speak pure, we become a better person. It, it, It just makes us better. So we want the menorah to have pure olive oil because the pure olive oil represents Torah and we want our Torah to be pure. But olive oil, by the way, has a lot of representations. So first, as a, I mean, you can look it up online, but uh, the process of making olive oil happens to be fascinating. In other words, you're probably going to stores where you can get fresh-squeezed orange juice, or for New York, orange juice. Or is that Florida? I don't remember. Orange, But here it's orange juice, I think. No, here it's orange juice. Here is orange juice. In New York, it's orange juice. You know, the funny thing is, as a kid, you grow up in school and you want to sound like everybody else. So my mother from McKeesport would always say orange in the house. But my friend said orange. I was not going to be embarrassed and talk like my mother. Sorry, Ma. But um, good out, shout out to Ma because she does listen. So she's going to comment. But uh, in any case, um, so you can't be how your friends talk. Okay, fine. That was completely off tangent. So where was I? So you go into a store, they, they'll squeeze the orange right in front of you. The juice is right there in the cup. You filter it, beautiful orange juice. You take grape juice, squeeze grapes right away, you can get grape juice. You cannot do that with olives. With the olive, you squeeze the olive, you, you, you squashed it. You're not getting any juice out of an olive um, just by pressing it. That does zero. You actually have to put it in like a barrel or a vat, and it has to heat up and get like overly ripe and soft. And then there's, sometimes they chop it up a little bit, sometimes they don't, and they, it's in a vat and it has to be pressed with weights. Again, I don't know, modern, exactly what they do, but some of this stuff you have no choice. You got to do it anyways. So they, um, so they, they it, it's got to get soft and they got to turn it over and then they got to chop it up and then they got to press it down and they'll get the first oil that comes out they call everything virgin oil nowadays, but that's because they super filter it. But the idea is you have that first level of oil that's your best oil. That, by the way, was used for the menorah. Then you're going to rechop it up, and you're going to repress it, and that'll be your second level of olive oil. And then you're going to rechop it up again, and you're going to repress it again, and that'll be your, your dirtier, your cloudier oil. That's your third level. So olive oil... Is a, is a process. The olive, I guess the best way to explain it, I told my class, the olive gets really beaten up. The olive is beaten and beaten and beaten, not like the orange or orange, not like the grape or the pomegranate. Those you squeeze, you're done. 
but the olive is pressed and chopped and pressed and and chopped and left to left over to super ripen. So it's a it's a tremendous process. So first of all, in general, first of all, in general, we should always think about it. Um, people go through things in life. Things happen. Life is not always as pleasant as we would like it. And we get beaten up and we get beaten down sometimes. And then we got to pick ourselves up and we got to go for it again. And we got to wake up again and we got to fight our way through again. That's like the olive. You should imagine yourself that you're the olive. To get the best out of the olive, sometimes you got to get beaten up. That's where we find out what you're made out of. And the olive, too, the best way to get the best out of the olive is to beat it up, to chop it up, to press it, to let it overripe. So when you're going through stuff, I'll use the word stuff. When you're going through stuff and you're not happy and it's not pleasant and it's not the way you would like it to be and it's not as easy as you would like it to be, um, that's what it takes in life to bring out the best in you. The best in you is only going to come out. And now this that I gave you is an overview, people in general. You want to remember the olive? Remember the olive. But also you can remember the Jewish people as a nation have also been beaten up and gone into exile and beaten up and and from Spain and even out of England and Germany and you name the country, beaten up over and over and over again. That's what makes us special. The fact that we get beaten up and get knocked down and get and we pick ourselves up again. So the getting beaten up is what makes you special. And I think my music is coming, so here it comes. When we come back, we will be joined by Ellie and Dina Kaminsky. So hold through the break. You're listening to Rabbi Tzir and Let's Talk Torah, and we'll be right back. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our nine and dine special, nine holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm David. Join us for fun and adventure on our new show, Podquesters, where we fight through imaginary battles and pray to the dice gods for good rolls. Yes, it's an epic sleeping adventure. We try to fulfill our destinies without driving the Dungeon Master crazy. I thought that was the point. Anyways, check us out here on NewRadioMedia.com Fridays, Podquesters. See you there. The BG song, Staying Alive, just might help someone you know stay alive. It's one of those beats you just can't get out of your head once it's there. And it turns out the disco song has 103 beats per minute, which happens to be the perfect number to maintain the rhythm for performing CPR. A study out of Illinois found that doctors and medical students who listened to the song while they were practicing CPR not only performed flawlessly, but they also remembered the technique five weeks later. The keys to CPR are performing the technique aggressively that is pushing hard enough and pushing on the chest fast enough to force the blood to where it needs to go. So when it comes to proper technique, it turns out that compressing the chest to the beat of staying alive really can help the victim stay alive. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. 
And we're back. And while everyone is getting Ellie and Dina up on the screen, which I don't see anything, but they're coming on soon, we are going to just, we'll mention something else about olive oil. Um, Olive oil is really fascinating. Oh, they're already there on the screen. Ellie and Dina and a smile. Ellie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, and loud and clear. It's beautiful. So okay. I'll t- we're talking about um, olive oil. This week's story portion talks about olive oil. Um, you guys ever check out any olive oil factories with the kids? Uh, no, we didn't actually, uh, <laughs> but we would love to. Oh, you it's must. Like, we, I- uh, we love olive oil. <laughs> actually, so do I. My, uh, many months ago, I had a, a health guy on, and he helped me lose, believe it or not, almost 20 pounds. So uh, mm-hmm. we're working on it. But before we get rolling... Who is Ellie and Dina uh, Kaminsky? Ellie, tell us about yourself for a minute or two. Uh, Don't worry, I'll let Dina go second. Don't worry. Kaminsky. (laughs) Oh, what did I say? I said Kaminsky. And I know there's an O, and I spelled it with an O, and for some reason when we spoke, I said Kaminsky. You you didn't correct me. Okay. Uh, Okay. I, yes. st- I stand oh. corrected. Kamiansky, thank you very much. Very good correction. I accept. Don't worry. You are not the first person on my show that I said their name wrong, and they told me. So we're going to start all over again. Ellie, tell us a little about who you are. Okay, cool. Uh, so I'm born and raised from Los Angeles, and uh, Dean and I have basically were high school sweethearts. We met in high school and stayed together for the past I think 16 years is what I saw today, actually, uh, yeah. <laughs> on Facebook, uh, which is kind of crazy. And um, basically, that's kind of like a quick little shot there from L.A., lived all my life there, spent about five years with Dina uh, for college and then for work. And In then, New York? Sorry, yeah, in New York. And then we moved back to uh, Los Angeles and started our family there. Um, lived in the Valley Village community, which is uh, North Hollywood. Um, and we have four beautiful kids. And we decided to move to Israel about two years ago. And now we are actually sitting in our apartment here in Jerusalem. We've been living here for six months. Cool. So, so yeah. Dina, Dina, anything to add? Um, I don't think so. Cool. So now that I have both of you, I get to go back and forth. We'll have fun. So Ellie told me, Dina, that it was your idea to move to Israel. Why were you? (laughs) Now, I'll give you a little background, by the way. I thought it was your idea to make Aliyah. I don't remember, but um, but yeah, I definitely I definitely wanted to. Once we had our twins, our first children, um, I just I just wanted, you know, I wanted to shelter them as much as possible. And when we went to Israel after that with them, I was just just amazed by the you know, how incredible Israel is. And I always wanted my children to feel that spark of fire of Torah, um, you know, every day in their life and be able to, you know, learn something from the Torah and then actually go there and see it. And, and yeah, all, it's incredible. literally they talk about all day. They talk about how much they love Hashem and they talk about the Beit HaMikdash and they know that the Kotel is like what's left of it. And it's, it's just so cool. It's really it's very cool. inspiring. That, so, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful yeah. because 
So I have a daughter going to seminary next year. The letters will be coming out next week. So like all good fathers, I'm writing all her bios and all her reasons why the school should accept her. Ellie, you'll have your turn as the children get older, unless Dean is the better writer. But in my case, I am. Anything related to education falls in her lap. Uh, Okay, fine. So we know the language. So I, I actually always write for my, she's my third daughter going. And I always have the same paragraph that you have to answer. Why do you want to come to Israel? Why do you want to come to seminary? And the answer always is at the end of the, whatever we'll call her bio, that just to walk down the paths of all the things we studied about the prophets and, and King David and, and the Beisam Migdash, all the things we learned in school needs to become real. And it becomes real when you go there for a year. But for your children, and your oldest is six? Uh, turning six, yeah. Turning six. So life becomes real. So it's a very, very beautiful thing. Yeah. And you even answer my next question. I'm going to move along. So here's an interesting thought. I'm just curious. Um, okay. And I know my answers, but I like to hear everybody else's answers. Um, Israel is the only country, that, to my knowledge, that actually has a special word when somebody moves there. They actually have a special word when you leave there also, by the way. Um, they're yeah. opposites, right? Somebody who moves to Israel, the noun is he is an oleh, literally means to go up, and uh, the, the moving process is called aliyah. So just out of curiosity, in your feeling of moving to Israel, is that an appropriate word, and why is that the word they use? Um, going up, I guess, I guess spiritually, without even doing anything, you, I guess you are moving up. You know, I don't know. Yeah. It's um, not, they're not referring to financially because then it would not be, be no. down, which is moving down. Right. Is that, um, yeah. By the way, so they financial. call it, it's called a Yoraid for people who exactly. leave. Right. So. Yeah. I, which is meaning going down. Yeah. But I'm saying, that's what I mean, that you would be anything other than the spiritual aspect. I can honestly say that uh, initially that's not really the real reason that people typically move here. I actually right now am very convinced and I've already seen it happening in my own personal life and my business and uh, the relationships I've been building here that actually now is the time for everybody to move to Israel because um, the economy here is just like thriving. And if you're any but interested in innovation and new technologies or changing the world or doing something great, the place to start is in Israel. It's not to be somewhere else anymore. Uh, like the two main places that they talk about is Silicon Valley and Tel Aviv. Like those are the top two tech capitals of the world, you know, and everything that you use, uh, Cisco systems, you're talking about Intel. Intel has 10,000 employees here in Israel alone. Um, major, major fortune, 100 fortune, 500 companies have, you know, R&D centers here. And uh, I personally believe that this is the place to be now for for growth, for business and to succeed. There is this dichotomy though, because you have someone like my wife, who is really good. She's actually a lot smarter than me for <laughs> by far. Good brownie points, excellent. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just a reality. And she's a speech therapist. She went to um, NYU. She's top performer, top in her class, 
And here in Israel, the typical salary for someone at, with her skill set is 50 shekel an hour, which basically means like 15 bucks an hour. Yeah, minimum wage. So, better, um, if you ask me, better stay home and be a mother. Just between me <laughs> yeah, and you. No, that's really the argument. Unless because, all your kids are in school. <laughs> But well, um, right. you want to be well, home yeah. when they. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think yeah. Ellie told me, are the are the children allowed to walk home for lunch in the middle of the day, where you are? Um, I mean, no, I, no not at I our school. So. Most schools, no, they're Most closed. Most schools, yeah, they they, act- they have a they have a gate around every single school, and with a guard at elementary schools and probably higher also, they have a guard um, at the entrance to the gate, so you can't even get in without the guard opening the gate for you. And I'll tell you, it's a little different here than the guards that they have in schools in the U.S. in that every guard in the schools in Israel um, is has a concealed uh, weapon on, and they're very protective of the school. So, yeah, you so know, there's a different risk factor here. You'd actually be surprised, um, but here in Detroit, so the Federation has helped the schools with the uh, with funding to go ahead and get security guards. Every school, every school building has a security guard. And when they started out, they allowed the security guards to be unarmed. They are all armed. I mean, it's concealed. It's under their jacket, no matter what the yeah, weather. Yeah. It's required. And the, you so, need to. Yeah, it's, it's an unfortunate you know, place in life where life has taken us. So we're going to try to get there. But once we're talking about children... And uh, I know you said there's a, there's there's a, people should move there just for the economy, but I know Dina wants to be there for her spirituality, for the Torah, for her children, what her children now are experiencing. But um, but let's talk about it. You came from L.A. What's the difference in raising a child in let's say L.A. or if you're in Bayit Vagan, right, a neighborhood in Jerusalem, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Ellie told me. I know all the secrets already. It's all over. <laughs> right? So, uh, yeah. so Dina, we're what's it like? We're next like? to the seminaries also. Yeah, we're, our, our kids' school is right next to Darche Bina. So uh, I don't know which one. We'll, we'll keep in touch when my daughter figures out which one she's in, this Tehillas or this uh, Miseris Rachel. I don't know where anything is. I, I'm clueless in areas. You see a lot of seminary girls walking around, so yeah. we, there could be 100 schools. Here, know. <laughs> All over the place. <laughs> cool, but let's get to the important stuff. So what makes raising children in Israel different than raising children in, for argument's sake, L.A.? Okay, let's, let's think about this. Um, okay, L.A. is... You know, it is Hollywood, so you are having all these billboards everywhere, and there's that, and inappropriateness, and everyone is, you know, everyone wants to, whether they say it or not, everyone, like, looks at the movie stars, they want to look like them, you know, they're, they're just, they're, the role models are, are just terrible there, they're, they're, you know, they, they don't have any, they don't have any, like, sustenance or I don't know I can't speak English anymore but um but it's just it's it's fluff you know um that's in terms of the the Hollywood scene and you don't even have to be in Hollywood to feel like you're there um so there's that and then I don't know for me I I never let my kids have screen time um now they they have a little bit here and there if we do like a little reading app with them but I was very against screen time I like my kids to be you know, involved in playing with each other outside with me, you know, just, or, you know, having just kind of hands-on experiences instead of 
you know, just sitting and watching a screen. So I felt that, you know, in Israel, kids are more outside more, they're more outgoing, maybe life is a little more sheltered, it's not as in your face. So, so that's uh, definitely part of it. I think in, I think in, in LA, you just have to be more, um, I don't know, in control and, you know, really, really like, you know, you should be more of a parent. You have to be more apparent, I guess so. Um, you just have to have a lot of guidance there and making sure, constantly making sure that you're on the right track and that your kids are on the right track. So we actually, we do um, a series called Home in the Homeland on our video blog, uh, which is on Facebook. And we basically go around every week to another neighborhood in Israel. So yes, we've only been here for six months and we see like how our kids have progressed, but then we meet people who are like Olim who have been here for 15, 20 some odd years and their children are there as well at the, at the meals. And we get to see what they've been like as also how they've been raised. And it's, it's a huge, um, you know, it's, it's very different because we've even noticed we're like, wow, the kids are just so engaged and they're sitting yeah. at the table. We're talking about teenagers, the teenagers, yeah, we're talking teens. the Friday night table. They sat there the entire meal. There was not one complaint of, I want to go, I want to go hang out with my friends. Their friends came over to their house to hang out with them. And the parents even hung out with their kids and their friends. Um, and the kids helped clear the table without asking. It just, they were so wholesome. And they, yeah, they spoke the right with word. all the guests at the table. They didn't just, you know, huddle to themselves and their friends yeah. or huddle you know, with their family or something. Yeah, so. I don't think we've ever engaged at a family table where the teenagers were not engaged yeah. with, at the table with everybody. I was, was really just amazed and like appalled that this is this is how they are. It was yeah. amazing. You're it's just so. you're there's so much more um, independence and then responsibility here. Yeah, my so. friend was telling me she was going back to America and she was so nervous um she's just going for a family occasion she was so nervous that her son was gonna get so much less independence there so he you know he goes to school by himself with his friend they bike ride to school and things like that she's like he loves it she's like i feel so bad that when we go back he's gonna have nothing like i can't give him that independence it's just not the same type of setting you know yeah and i'll so. tell you also as a parent like when you take your kids to the park at least for me in los angeles most of the time I was taking, like looking over my shoulder, checking to making sure that nothing, nobody suspicious was around, that I saw my kids and made sure they're okay. And now when I go to the park, I sit down in a completely separate part of the park and we, Dean and I are talking or whatever. We don't even see our children for the most of the time. And then when we're ready to leave, we tell them we're ready to go and that's it. Like Yeah, so on that thought, I want you to think for a second because I, I think people in America, probably around the world, have different visions of what it means to take children to the park um, in Israel. We, of course, yeah. all we hear is missiles and, and terrorists and, and bombings. So uh, as yeah, you as parents... Very, I, um, it's a very shallow perspective because you're just basically allowing the media to um, infiltrate your, your, your thought process and what you should see. So... The reason we started our video blog series was exactly for that reason, in that it's unfiltered and it's raw and you get to see what it's like to be in Israel. Like, And the reality is that these issues happen all around the world where there's bad people and, you know, a little bit of crime here and there. But if you look at actual statistics, 
inner city crime in Israel is almost zero percent. And the, you know, Jew on Jew crime is very low. Yes, we all yell at each other when we're driving, but that's about it. And, um, and that's it. And then you have a neighbor that just hates you. And like, you just sort of have to learn to live with it. And that's why you have borders and you protect yourself. And, um, it's just a reality, but it's, it's, uh, you just, you don't feel it, um, in that sense. But what I will say is that when there are issues, so we were here basically to the, after being here for about two months, there was a recent, um, uh, rise in activity in, um, in the Gaza Strip where they launched 500 rockets in the course of 48 hours. And that was really weird for us because we've, we've always read about it. We have alerts on our phone from living in Los Angeles, but we've never actually been here while that was occurring. And we were still going to class. We were in Ulpan and we were still doing our everyday things, but it just felt, we felt it in our bones. It was like, yeah, it just it's felt- like this heavy, nervous feeling like you're, it's like, you know, they really, they're your family and you feel that more here that like everyone is your family. Yeah. But, um, all right. So but you know, the rockets are not going to get to you. That, like, that's because not- right. if you're a neighbor, but Dean, I want to know, I, Ellie is not nervous. You're a mother. <laughs> are you nervous um, if your kids say I'm no, running to the park and they're six? Definitely when, like Ellie said, when things happen, we're, we're definitely more on high alert. We're looking around. We're, we're, we're not look. our heads are not on our phones as much. Um, you know, you just, you gotta be, you gotta be on alert when you're in public places. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of when things happen, but for the most part, uh, I feel more comfortable here than I do in America. I was standing with my daughter at the train. She's four years old. So I had to hold her hand everywhere we went because she, I guess she doesn't know her boundaries so much. So when we're waiting for the Not train, she's literally standing on the edge. So I'm pulling her back and she, and she's fine. She doesn't mind. Well, why don't you and tell then, them why we were, why you were there? Oh, why, why we were uh, out and about today. So she swallowed a shekel in school. I get a call Yum. the day before. It's about the size of a dime, a shekel, but thicker. So the one day that I actually remember to give them stucca for school she decides to swallow it. So, uh, so I get a call. The more is kind of like freaking out. I'm like, it's just a shekel. What's the big deal? I'm like, I'll wait for it to pass. So, um, so of course I post on a mommy group and half the responses are, don't worry about it. And half the responses are, Oh my God, get an x-ray now. Um, I called the doctor. He said, get an x-ray. So, you know, I waited 24 hours. Basically it didn't, she didn't pass it. So we go and we get the x-ray done and there's nothing on the x-ray. God knows if she even swallowed it. But, um, but basically, so I'm standing there with her at the train, pulling her back. And then, and then she, and then the train is coming already and is passing us slowing down. And the guy next to me, even he pushes her back a little bit. (laughs) So everyone is just caring about everyone's kid as their own. Oh yeah. So Everyone smiles at her. Everyone, you know, talks to her. So in America, like no one would look twice like, oh, my God, you can't look at someone's kid because then you're a creep or don't even think about touching someone's kid, you know. So but here you can parent someone else's kid, but you can also, you know, be their mother and whatever. And I actually want to add to that because I was on the train yesterday sitting next to an Ethiopian mother who had three children, probably about the same age as our kids. And 
like one of the kids turned around and went the other direction on the train while the mother was trying to get out of the train. And people think that like the Arabs and the Jews don't really interact. It's actually a, a, a fallacy. Like there are Arab workers everywhere in Israel. Like the people who work in this house are Arabs and I go to the supermarket, you have Arabs and we sit next to them on the train. We sit next to them on the train. I was at the, I was at the whatever. The, it happens everywhere. Yeah. And this Arab mother, like, takes the kid and like like puts her arm out and like turns him around, like literally pivots him and is like, like, Lech nua, and then like, she just told him like, go, your mom's leaving basically. And the kid's like a kippah tzitzit, the whole thing. And it was just, it was just a very normal family interaction. It didn't feel unnatural at all. So, um, and that's you know, why yeah, you're creating your video blog so as I like the way you use this raw, so that way people can get a feeling for instead of only turning to the news, and that's the beauty anyways of, of stuff online, that you don't yeah. must get your information, like I do, of course, um, through all the news feeds. There, there's people out there, if you trust them, if you know who they are, you can find out what the real story is. So uh, still talking yeah. about education, because we, I talk about this with Ellie you, you you said a really very good point. I know we're talking about children, but I think children is where it's at. So first of all, Ellie, you told me that Israel is a country for children or a country about children. What what did you mean by that? Um, well, I think Dina kind of harped on it. Was that it just the focus is around you know this like family orientedness and the children are invested in, and uh, the country like goes out of its way. They have events at every single holiday for like children events, the parks are basically on every corner in every neighborhood. Um, anytime you find like a little speck of land that you can't fit, fit anything in, somehow the government here pops a slide there. So just like, let me put a slide in this little spot because mm -hmm. maybe a kid is walking and they want to go on a slide right now. That's the thought process here. It's just very, it's very focused around the growth of children because they understand that in order for the Jewish people to continue and to grow and thrive, you need to have more children. So they want to make it as easy and comfortable as possible for parents to have children. And I can go into like, even there's other benefits, right? There's actually this, the biggest benefit, this is really crazy, um, for people who can't have children, there are benefits for them as well in this country. This country pays 100% of all the expenses to have children and go through in vitro fertilization. So if somebody can't have children, it's actually like the biggest like claim, like the biggest support I could ever tell somebody like this is the reason you need to move to Israel is for that reason alone. Otherwise, you're paying forty, fifty thousand dollars to have a child, and the Israeli government here is paying for you to do that. And it's not just everyone thinks oh it's just one child. You you can do IVF to have more than one child, but you just pay a tiny bit more. It's right. It's insane. So, but my I was talking to someone. I was I was telling her I did IVF, and she also did. And she said, actually, in my in my kids, my twins class, she also had twins. She said, in my twins class, the kids who were singletons, not a twin, were the minority in the class. Yeah. That's how crazy it is. Yeah. So. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, I did not know that. that wow. Yeah. Amazing. Just, amazing. That's only, a, I'm only scratching the surface on what there is offered for children here. You I think also every get time, money right, for every children. time you have a child, they open up, you open up an, they open up an account and they put money in the account yep. for each child. That's right. The government already creates like a savings plan for your child right away. So, wow. Yeah. 
Now, time yeah. is flying. I don't know if you have a, a, a clock by you, but I know my time is flying. So before I run out of time, because I'm getting really close, um, let's, uh, let me give you two questions. You can pick however you want to answer. Um, sure. One is, is there anything you miss from, uh, you know, moving from America is obviously different. Is there anything you miss? And is there anything you'd like to leave us with? So, uh, Dina, you go first. Okay, I miss my family dearly. My whole family's in America. Um, I don't want to get teary-eyed, but it's really far. <laughs> and um, come on, FaceTime, FaceTime. I miss uh, I miss the convenience of food shopping. I haven't really gotten into it here so much, so I'm kind of lazy about figuring it out. So, um, but I, I miss how easy food shopping is. Like going to the market, you go. Basically, in America, you make a menu, you go to the market, you get what you need. Here, you go to the market, and you come home, and then you make a menu. Because they're not going to have, you know, they don't have everything <laughs> here as they do there. You can't depend on, okay, they're going to have this this week. It's it's different every time. So Also, produce is seasonal here. Right. So, um, so it, it got me out of the box a little in cooking, but it also made me kind of lazy because I, I don't want to go and look for all these different ingredients that I would like to have. So, um, so definitely shopping is, is a little bit more cumbersome here. Cool. But, uh, Ellie, anything yeah. you want to leave us with? And when you finish up, Ellie, because I really i am getting close to my clock, um, I want you to also tell everyone, I know you have the videos on Facebook, Cami uh, Clan, all Ks, tell everybody how um, and where they should look for you to get those videos, the raw stuff, what it really means to live in Israel. <clears throat> Okay, yeah, so I'll actually, I was going to finish off anyways with a, a pull anyways into the vlog, but, uh, um, but the really way I want to finish off is like I was saying before is like, and I think this sums it up for, for at least how I look at Israel and what it means to be here in Israel now. The country just celebrated its 70th anniversary and really it only took about 40, 30 years to build what it is. And when you come here, you see just endless innovation and growth and like, buildings that are skyscrapers at this point and trains running through and just like it's insane what's going on here there's like 7,500 startups in Tel Aviv alone and Jerusalem's growing the whole country is just bursting at the seams and I told myself um Dean and I agreed with this is the country's only 70 years young like we want to be here for the next 70 years like, we want to be a part of that. Like, what is that like, right? Like, cool. That's that gonna... what those videos are going to be about, I hope. So just oh, wrap 100%. us up. I don't know if we're going to be filming for the next 70 years. Well, all <laughs> right. You don't want to watch us for that long. Whatever we get. So just tell us how we can follow you on Facebook. What do we need to do? Yeah, it's very easy. I'm going to spell it out. It's If you look up K-A-M-I-K-L-A-N, that's Kami Clan, you'll find us on Facebook. Um, and that's how the easiest way to do it. And you can also follow um, us on Instagram, Instagram as well. We did a documentary series with the Jerusalem post. Uh, we're part of Nefesh Benefesh's network for a bit. So, um, we're not too hard to find, honestly. And you can always contact us with questions, message yes, us. Yes. Um, we really, we love to help people. So in yeah. any way we can Great. We get asked every day, every hour on the day, there's people questioning, asking us, commenting, whatever it is. They always are trying to figure out how to move here or whatnot. And, uh, we actually, 
you know, we love checking that box that every time someone says we're making Aliyah. Cool. It's the best. And I have to let you go. My time is up. Thank you for joining us. Join Comedy Thank Clan. You. My music is coming. We'll see you guys. We'll be in touch. Thank you. Hold through the break. I'm Rabbi Tzvi Let's Talk Torah. And we'll be right back. They say it takes a village. It's the simple things. The things that are a testament to the old. The things that are a testament to the new. Know what's going on in your community. Check out our community channel on newradiomedia.com. I'll tell you what happened. Good day, Morty. I got the Szechuan sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. But your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Welcome back to Who's Got Chutzpah. I'm your host, Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. And are you ready? Uh, Andy, what holiday is this associated with? Oh, boy. Uh, uh. I'm sorry, that's not the answer we were looking for. Whitney, for the win, can you tell us which holiday is this? I'm I know. Shavuot. No, I'm sorry. I've got the answer. What? My show, Let's Talk Torah, where we talk Torah, holidays, faith, and all the things that help us live our life. That's Let's Talk Torah, Thursdays at 3 p.m. on NewRadioMedia.com. That's pretty good. If a tree is just a tree, then who and what are we? I am you. And we're back, and I hope you enjoyed that entertaining interview with Ellie and Dina. Um, I want to throw in one more thing. I had asked them a question at the beginning, why someone who goes up to Israel is called an ole, to go up. And they said, uh, spirituality, which is probably a good answer. There happens to be a fascinating verse in the Torah. Um, it says, when, when Jacob... And his family, when Jacob wanted to go see Joseph, and Joseph was sending the brothers back to Jacob, um, it talks about Joseph says, go up to my father. And Jacob says, go down to Joseph. So the commentaries explain that Israel is on top of the world. It's the highest place in the world. It's on top of the world, which is a little problematic because there's, I mean, there are mountains in Israel, don't get me wrong, but they're not the Swiss Alps and it's not Mount Everest and it's not the Rocky Mountains. But, uh, but the, the concept is, forget about that the world is spinning. I know the world is spinning and I know it's a ball. But if you can imagine for a second that God is holding up the world and in God's picture, what, where is the top of the ball? Where is the top of the world? So the top of the world is Israel and Jerusalem. So therefore, we always say we're going up to Israel, 
and therefore going down everywhere else. And that verse, I gave you one example in the Bible, but that verse happens to come up, that concept comes up numerous, numerous times. Um, we're unfortunately not able to be joined by Rabbi Jonas and Goldson this week, so I think if Kelsey is ready, we'll jump right into my poster. So we're up to poster, I, I think it's 13, it's the mem. Mem is an M sound. Uh, there's actually two different versions of what the letter looks like. The one on the poster right behind me has an opening. It's almost like a box with sort of like an opening in that bottom corner. That's called a mem. Um, anywhere in a word, it would be open. However, at the end of a word, that letter would actually be a closed box. It makes that M type sound. Its numerical value is 40. And my word this week, and actually Ellie uh, hinted to it, not knowing, of course, um, my word is midbar. A midbar is a desert. And 70 years ago, and even earlier, when people were moving to Israel in small numbers, the country was a desert. It, there was nothing there. Certainly in the south, it was just sand. Now they got that place blooming. So it was a desert, and interesting enough, the Jewish people are in a desert in the Torah portion we're discussing, and they actually will remain in the desert for, uh, for 40 years. And uh, there's what to be said. There's benefits to a, desert, to a desert. You're alone. You can think. You can study. You're not bothered. Um, but a desert is something that could be built upon also, and that's certainly what the land of Israel has done over its last 70 years. Um, maybe I'll get into some other topics, but I saw a great story this week, and I know I always say I have a good story and I get stuck for time. This is really a fascinating story with names, actually. Um, the story is pretty recent. It goes back uh, beginning of February. Um, there was a fire um, in a fish store in Borough Park. Borough Park is uh, one of the neighborhoods in Brooklyn, for those who have no idea, which is hard to imagine. My wife actually grew up there. And there was a, a fire in a fish store. It's not so important to believe it was called Yussi's Fish Market. Okay, there was a fire in the store, and uh, the store burnt down, and the apartments on top of the store burnt down, and, of course, the, the assembly person was working to get housing for everybody and clothing and stuff, but this guy's business, right now he's out of business. Fish store, no business. Anyways, there's a guy by the name of Mr. Shia Langsam, I think is his name, and... It was online. I could say his name. So this Mr. Shia calls up Yossi. Mr. Shia has his own fish market a few blocks away. So he calls up Yossi and he says, Yossi, what's going to be with your fish market? How are you going to sell fish? And Yossi says, I don't know. I need a location. I got to find a new place. I got to open up. I mean, I'm not making any money for my family just because my store burnt down. So this Shia has the exact same kind of fish market. So he says, Yossi, listen to me. Till you figure out a good place to go, till you figure out a place to, to restart up your business, you're going to move into my store. I'm going to make an area of my store. I'll set it up. It'll be your fish area. You'll have your cash register. You'll have your credit card. People will come in. They want to buy from you. Your customers will buy from you. My customers, hopefully, will buy from me. Or perhaps my customers will go to you. I have no idea you got to think about that for a second, that somebody has the ability to go ahead. We're all nice people. We're all friendly. We all want to give a helping hand. Uh, something goes wrong with somebody's business. We try to help them out. But can you imagine that you're bringing your competitor 
into your store. And you're not just bringing him in to work behind the counter so he gets some money. You're letting him open his store. Maybe your customers will like his fish better. I have no idea. Maybe they'll like his customer service better. And they'll start shopping by him. But this she has said, I don't care. I am a, I want you in my store. I want to help you out. It's a, it's a beautiful Jewish concept. My wife is an expert at it. Um, God on, on the high holidays on Rosh Hashanah already has decided how much money I'm earning this year. Your business is not taking away one dime from what I'm supposed to earn. You can't take away from me. I can't take, I can't take away from you. And, but again, it's easy to say, not so easy to do. I said to myself today, I'm going to give myself an extra few seconds to say goodbye to everybody. Of course, we want to thank all our wonderful sponsored listeners. I couldn't do without you. Um, one of our team members is moving on, moving up. That's Drew. You've heard me mention Drew's name over the year, year months. Um, he's in the back. I don't know what he does. He does everything. I used to email him my stuff. He'd get my social media up. Drew's a great guy. Drew, we're wishing you lots of success. Please, ah, we're getting clapping. Come back and visit. Certainly the rest of the team today, Tony, Kelsey, Zach, Angel. You know I couldn't do it without you. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Tzvi. You've been listening to Let's Talk to our new radio media. Until next week, don't forget to think about it.